This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 321. The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. It is election day. We are here, finally. Oh yes, November 8th. I have been waiting for this day for many, many months. And in that sense, I have to say, I am uh, I'm quite pleased. We will wake up tomorrow and this rather, oh, let's just say unconventional. Let's, let's use happier words. Unusual election season will have come to an end. Uh, I do not foresee, although I know it's possible this could you know, stretch out for weeks or something, but come on, unlikely. Unlikely indeed. And both of the party headquarters are in New York City, so ain't no party like a New York City election party because the New York City election party is where all of them are. Uh, we got Trump, New Yorker, a lot of money. Hillary, pseudo-New Yorker, a lot of money. One of them is going to be president. Nice work, America. You're picking your presidents from within a pretty pretty small area these days. But nonetheless, we're here. And I I think we should all uh, give ourselves a congratulatory, well, I guess giving yourself a high five would look kind of strange. But I I mean, we should be high-fiving each other. So wherever you are across the country, around the world, uh, everybody in the control room, John and company, high fives, high fives. Uh, We're here. We did it. We did not completely uh, lose our minds in the process. And we'll see. You know, now we really get to see. We've been hearing for so many months that Donald Trump is going to, you know, all he does is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on his mind. And I don't know how the rest of that goes, but that's a song. Uh, We'll see if he wins. He says that we're going to win so much. I remember we're going to win so much. We're going to get tired of winning. Quite a statement, and now we get to finally put that to the test. Uh, You're noticing, I think, a a little bit of a uh, managing of expectations going on with the Democrats and with the Clinton camp. They did decide to back off of having a fireworks display over the Hudson River, so there's that. Uh, There have been some last-minute efforts, I think, to try and do voter turnout by uh, inspiring a little moment of panic. In the Democrats, in the Republicans, too. Depends on who we're talking about. By saying it's going to be closer than you think it is. Every vote counts. 
There was a time when Trump was saying, I, I remember this, I'm, I'm old enough to remember because it was months ago. There was a time when Trump was saying he was going to contest New York, that New York would in fact be in play, that there was the, uh, there was the chance that the Republicans would win New York for the first time, uh, the presidency for the first time in a quarter century, I think it is. might even be more than that. That has since passed. Trump campaign is not saying they're going to win New York. The Trump campaign is not telling us all that they're even contesting New York. I voted, voted this morning. I went to my polling place, my little moment of uh, my little moment of peace and quiet afterwards, where I get a coffee in the neighborhood. This very overcrowded and overpriced, but but good in terms of the quality of the roast and the and the coffee it produces. A uh, good little coffee shop. I went into my polling place, which is also when I think a lot of those who live in my neighborhood are, are reminded that, yes, in fact, there is a public library in this neighborhood, which nobody knows, nobody, nobody that I've, I've never talked to somebody in my adult life and had them say, you know, I just, I can't find that. I'm going to go to the public library and pick that up. Now, I know Amazon and the internet has, has changed the game with that, but it's pretty amazing that there are still large publicly funded institutions full of books where you can get books for free uh, and yet I don't I don't know anybody who uses them I'm sure in your town or city perhaps people use it but here in New York it's like oh there's a public library near me I guess that's where I'm going that's where I'm going to vote okay so I did so I went and voted Uh, it was an interesting process Uh, there were many lines I know this is like the best story I've ever told you it was an interesting process of lines uh a few things happened of note. One is that I saw that a woman was actually, con- she was uh, contested about her signature, or somebody contested that her signature was hers. We had to sign in. So I think it's so interesting that there's all this talk about how Republicans want to disenfranchise voters. Here I am in my local, my local precinct or whatever we call it, my local uh, district precinct, police station, sorry. Although there are precincts, I think, depending on where you are based on the, what you're voting for. I'm in my uh, district and I'm voting and and a woman is getting into an argument about whether that's her signature or not. I was just sort of surprised that the poll workers even would care enough to try to play signature detective and whatever. Uh, So that was interesting. That held up the whole line. You can imagine how many New Yorkers were excited about having to wait while we all heard this exchange about how that was. I think she I think the woman said that was her signature before she got married or something. So. But wouldn't wouldn't she then just be able to sign like if, if it was a different name as in a maiden name? Well, then wouldn't she just sign it the way she used to, and this could all be over? It was very strange. I, I wasn't. I was just standing in line. I was you know just trying to mind my own business, and this was the conversation that was happening. It is also illegal in New York, as a side note, to take a photo inside a polling station. Um, I think one of the Trump kids, I think it's Eric Trump, took a photo, and Vox is now calling for him to be. Uh, you know, sent sent away. Send him to Sing Sing. Is Sing Sing still open? I don't know. Whatever. Send him to Rikers. Took a photo inside a polling booth. Vox is like the kid in the class who, when the teacher forgot Vox dot com, the left wing website, they're like the kid in the class when the teacher would forget to give homework before a long weekend. And by forget, I mean the teacher was trying to be cool and like let everybody have a nice long weekend without homework. Vox would raise its hand and be like, "You forgot to assign us a proper course of study for the weekend." And then everybody's like, "Oh." just need a wedgie fox is just run by people who need wedgies it's just full of wedgie needers um so anyway they they pointed out that trump to, or eric trump took a photo inside a polling booth and so technically that is illegal okay whatever fine fair enough 
And then uh, I got a lot, and a couple of other little anecdotes about this whole voting process. And then we'll talk about the huge, you know, what this means for the Republic, what we're going to be doing tonight. There'll be a bunch of live coverage of Blaze stuff, so we'll get to hang out tonight, those of you who want to hang out, and either commiserate or celebrate or just sort of be meh tonight. I think that, I think it's okay to be kind of meh. A fair amount of you will be, I'm sure. Um, but a few more thoughts on what happened today for my little voting excursion. Uh, I was sad. Last time I had a voting excursion, the cop who was there providing security recognized me from Red Eye and like wanted to like you know shake my hand and hang out. No one, no one, no one recognized me this time. So, which by the way, that never happens in New York City. If someone recognized me in New York City, it's either somebody visiting, because uh, that means they love America and they're not from New York City, or it's a, a, a cop, a fireman, construction worker. There are a few other, a few other. Uh, professions where there's enough love of America that they may actually know who I am. I, I remember I, I was stopped once by a guy who was listening to my podcast as he walked past me on the street, which was pretty funny. He, I, I, he handed sort of the earbud over and I was like, oh yeah, you are listening to me. And and he said he worked in finance and I was like, all right, cool. I was like, you, you know, so that's cool. He's like, yeah, like, but we can't take a selfie or anything because, you know, I'm like, no, I get it. I get it. You work in finance. You've got to, got to be part of the Democrat machine. So, Nice meeting you, though. So I was in the uh, polling station, and a few things. One is a woman who I, I, I know this is maybe this will get me in a little bit of trouble, but I, I just want to think about this for a second. I, I want to have a little open, open forum, open discussion about this. A woman who clearly spoke no English was having some difficulty with some of the uh, instructions about, and it's not that obvious what you're supposed to do. There's like some big card and a folder it goes into, and there's like electronic machine and there's a lot of different languages on there and it's like a, you're kind of overwhelmed with all this writing and you kind of just want a big piece of paper that's like check one Trump Clinton or I guess sorry check one Trump Clinton McMullen Johnson Stein but you know it should be really idiot proof and it's not as idiot proof as you would think it is uh, my first ballot did not get read so anyway but was, a, a woman was clearly having difficulty and, and it was uh, obvious that and without getting into what I believe was her you know, background or what language she was a native speaker of, didn't speak any English and was having a very hard time. And they're trying to explain to her what to do in terms of, you know, what to fill out or whatever. And it made me think, you know, why are we supposed to be so enthusiastic, not even accepting, enthusiastic about having ballots in all these different languages? I mean, if you're going to be. If you're a citizen of this country and you're supposed to, and you're going to have a say in the government of this country that affects all of us, is is speaking English or, or having English proficiency really too much to ask? H- how can somebody really know what's going on here if they don't speak English at a basic level? I'm just I'm just saying. Is this just going to? I mean, maybe some people. This is why is it so forbidden? I thought about it this way: if, if I were a, a, a new citizen of of uh, I don't know. Let's say France, although I speak some French. Uh, well, let, let's say if I was a, a citizen of Germany. I speak a little German, too. Oh, what's up? In Sweden, everyone speaks English. I'm trying to find a country that won't get me in trouble. No, no, no. It has to be a country where, you know, no one's going to yell at me. If I were a new citizen of Italy and I were like, hey, my name is Giuseppe. And uh, I was a citizen of Italy. Love you, Italy. You're great. Italian-Americans, great people. Uh, and the idea that I would vote in the Italian election... Uh, without speaking any Italian, like that to me would seem a little strange, right? Like, how, how could I really know anything about what's going on? I, you could say, well, Buck, you read it in your own, you read it in your native language and everything else. Yeah, but to really be an informed voter in the country of, my, you know, if I'm a citizen, 
Shouldn't I speak the predominant language and know the predominant language? I just think that we should encourage that. That's all. I'm, I'm not trying to disenfranchise anybody. I'm just saying, I, to me, it seems like you, you probably probably should learn English if you're going to. And the idea that that's look at, by the way, our closest allies all over the world are our, our truly closest allies as countries and culturally our closest allies. What is the one thing that binds us together? It's, it's not a representative democracy. It's not. Uh, sort of, you know, general ideas of Western liberalism. You know what really binds us together? The English language. Our closest allies in the world are the UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Those are the those are the countries we are closest to in the whole world. What do we have in common with all those countries? They're all English speaking countries, former British colonies, of course. UK, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. Language matters a lot. Language is not some afterthought, and having a shared language is, is really the foundation for having a shared culture. Uh, so I just thought that was – I just had that thought, and I know that for some people that is ooh, terrible. You know, you can't be disenfranchising immigrants by having them speak English. Um, well, first of all, I think they're disenfranchising themselves in a sense, at least in an employment sense, by not uh, having some grasp of the predominant language. Because I mean, I'm talking about somebody who spoke no, no English whatsoever, zero. Very clear. It was really like it was, it was somebody who had an English proficiency of we would have called it in the uh, what I think the foreign government exam, foreign uh, language exam for the federal government. I think she would have been like a zero plus, you know, like a couple of words here and there. Uh, it's on out of a five point scale. So that was another little moment I had there. Just a thought. Just want to share that with you. Uh, then I went to my little booth and. Um, yeah, I voted for Trump. I'm not going to not going to lie, not going to obfuscate, not going to pretend, not going to always be honest with you, team. Filled a little circle for Trump. I voted for a bunch of Republicans as well that I didn't even know were running because they have, you know, they're going to lose 70, 30. Uh, I voted actually voted for a guy named Joe Mafia. That was his name. I didn't even know he was. I didn't know this was a person, but Joey Mafia. Hey, Joey Mafia. So I voted for Joey Mafia, which was fun. And I voted for Trump. And um, I, I, I feel good about it, actually. I don't feel good about it in the sense that I think this is a, he's a great candidate and I'm so happy and I think he's going to win and all that stuff. Um, but I'm, I should say I'm at peace with it. How about that? Better way to put it. I'm at peace with it um, because I want Hillary to lose. And that's just where I am. I want Hillary to lose. Um, I know that's not inspiring. I know you're not hearing uh, you're, you're not hearing like uh, a string string and orchestra in the background with sort of soaring uh, Copeland-esque music and some sort of a narrative of America. No, no, no. No. I just want Hillary to lose. That's that's what... I woke up this morning, did my part to beat Hillary in a state where she's going to win by a mile anyway. But I did my part. And you will all do your part as you see fit. Whatever that means. God bless and good luck with it. It's your call. Appreciate you joining me, not just today, but all the days before it, where we talk about all this stuff. It's every man and woman for themselves out there in the voting booth, so I want to hear what you think about all this. 888-900-3393. Our sponsor this half hour is silencershop.com. Look, Silencer Shop is the place to go. They have the best prices along with the best service, and when you purchase a silencer from silencershop.com, you simply pick it up at a local dealer with no transfer fees and no shipping 
when shooting with a silencer, shooting becomes a more social sport, by the way. It's easier to communicate and enjoy the environment you're in. There's all kinds of cool benefits of having a silencer. It just looks cool. And hunters often go without hearing protection because it's uncomfortable. A silencer from silencershop.com provides hearing protection without being uncomfortable or impacting your outdoor experience. And by the way, if you go to silencershop.com, you've got the best selection of products from top brands. And they try to keep all the most popular models in stock. That helps you get what you want even faster. So, team, go check it out. Silencershop.com. Again, that is silencershop.com. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, phone lines are open. Definitely want to hear your thoughts. Uh, If you have any sort of polling play stories or just what you want how you're feeling today let's just feel like it's a big it's a big election therapy session today on the buck sexton show in the freedom hut is it is it the relief that you feel that's what i feel i'm just like oh i'm so happy it's over I'm so happy it's over uh i don't even know what's going to happen and i care but i'm giving myself a mental break from it uh tonight as the as the polls uh, or rather as the uh, polling places close and the votes get tallied you know what i'm thinking to myself uh, that much closer to this this thing being over and i just want to know i want to know where we are i want to know where we are and uh you know i'm gonna probably cook a new recipe for myself tonight maybe a little maybe a little terror uh chicken with a butter tarragon sauce or something oh yeah that's right it's gonna be wild wild up in buck Saxon's world uh glenn in colorado welcome to freedom hut sir what's up quick i just want to talk just a second about um why i think a lot of people even though they want to vote for trump they don't like it, and that is because he's not a likable guy, but that's who he is. He is not a politician. He does not, he has not lived his whole life having to have people like him. He's the guy who sat in an office and said, and by the way, have the girl with the big boobs, bring me some coffee, and, you know, get it done. And Whoa, family show, good family show, but okay, yeah. You know, I, that's why I said boobs. And, um, you know, it, but that's who he is, and and we're not used to it, or people are just not used to, you know, hearing somebody speak their mind and, you know, locker room talk or whatever he is. But 
Uh, the so other, you, I'm confused. Know. Are you pulling the lever for Trump but holding your nose? Or are you like, he's not that bad. Pull the lever for Trump. Mm, uh, no, I'm trying to convince myself, I guess. <laughs> okay, that's a, you sound like you're having a Hamlet moment here or something. You're like, ah, you know, you're going a, yeah, you're going a little yeah. bit cerebral. No, it, I mean, it is, it is why I don't like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not seeing somebody, but I'm not having somebody who just wants to talk to tell me what I want to hear. I mean, he is, and I got to accept that, that, uh, hey, I might not like the guy personally, but I sure to hell know why I don't like her. Yeah, well, that's how I, that's how I feel, and that was really the motivating uh, motivating factor in my decision making process. I was like, I just can't, I just can't sit idly by and let Hillary Clinton. I mean, for me, it's just a protest vote against Clinton winning, really, in a lot of ways. Uh, do I think right. that we'd be able to work with Trump? You know, could conservatives work with Trump and get some things that they want? And act? yeah, I think they could. I, I don't, I I'm not saying they would. Too. I'm saying I think it could. With Hillary, you have right. no shot. Zero. Dunzo. Right. Supreme Court. Gone. Right. Amnesty. And, enacted. I mean, you go down the line, man. Go down the line. And the other part about this is, is that we know why we don't like Hillary by what she has done. And we, you know, the, the reason that I, I personally think that I don't like, uh, you, know, you know, like you said, hold my nose and, and pull the lever is because of you know the personality of Trump. But I hear you, uh, Glenn. We're actually we're actually at uh, at time for uh, we about to go into break. But real quick, who's going to win Colorado? You're calling from Colorado. God, I hope Trump does. But you oh. know what? There, there's a lot, a little bit of both going on here. All right, Glenn from Colorado. Good to talk to you, sir. Team, we've got a lot more show. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. I'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we're joined now by our friend Steve Yates. He is the chairman of the Idaho Republican Party and the CEO of D.C. International Advisors. Mr. Yates, great to have you, sir. Hi, Buck. Fun day. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how much fun in some hours. Uh, so what do you, just what are your thoughts for today, Steve? What's your, what's sort of your what is your opening statement, if I may? Well, I think today we've got kind of the collision between anecdotal evidence of rallies and ground movements that a lot of us have come into contact with firsthand if you're working grassroots politics and state politics versus polling, data, theories about the Electoral College and all the expert analysis. And so it's kind of a collision of two dominant frames, and we're going to see which one wins out. Uh, you know, the Electoral College math has always looked prohibitive. Uh, the late-breaking uh, momentum, as best as you can feel it out in the hinterland, is that it has been going somewhat Trump's direction, but also somewhat of a catch-up game. And, uh, you know, so I, I've, just, I've seen just tremendous amounts of energy as I've traveled around my state of Idaho and as I've talked with chairmen in other, in other states. And it's just hard to look past the energy and momentum that you see. 
and you're just hoping that it bears out in reality of people turning out and voting. So, I mean, that's that's life in politics. It's not what everyone lives for, but some of us have the addiction and are committed to it beyond all reason. And Idaho, obviously, going for the Republican uh, nominee. Uh, is, is, is McMullen on the ballot there, by the way? He is. Uh, he actually visited Idaho Falls and Boise, had some at some respectable sized crowds coming to the state, uh, and as as you might expect, I, I have a certain warm spot of my heart for a bald guy with national security experience. Right, of course, uh, I might resemble that description, uh, but I don't think he's going to make much of an inroad in our state. It's really a competition between McMullen and Gary Johnson for who's going to be the best showing third party candidate, but. No matter who it is, that's going to be a distant third behind Trump and Clinton. Have you seen a, a, a pretty clear consolidation in your state of what were Cruz, Rubio, Kasich, name them, supporters uh, behind behind Trump? Has that been has that been pretty pretty palpable? Have you have you been aware of that sort of uh, that shift, or, or are there still some still some holdouts? I mean, I, I know, like we said, Idaho is going to go for Trump, and that's not, not in dispute or not, not in question. But I just wonder if we're looking at sort of enthusiasm and, and turnout in, in Idaho, which is a very red state, but also very conservative, uh, we're on, was the sort of main theme that conservatives are willing to get behind Trump, even though his conservative bona fides are uh, questionable? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a long journey, uh, and Idaho is very conservative, very Republican, but also very independent-minded, and a lot of our voters don't like people telling them how they have to vote or how they're supposed to think. Uh, they kind of see the equation the other way around, that they're here to tell you, uh, elected officials or candidates, how they think, and you're supposed to go represent them. And uh, it's taken a long time through this cycle for there to be a rally effect. But I think in the late stages of it, it happened. Uh, there was, of course, concern when the uh, the Access Hollywood videos or tapes came out. And uh, but just the overwhelming, in my view, stench of the Clinton family and their enterprise just had a tremendous rallying effect of people saying, no, my, my gag reflex has gone off, and I just I have to do whatever possible to stop them. And, you know, there were a lot of Trump speeches that were meaty policy. And when the campaign itself was focused on some of those policies, there was, there was a decent rallying effect around the th- some of the things he said he wanted to do. But the overwhelming theme that resonates in a state like ours is just this anti-establishment. We've got to change the way business has been conducted uh, kind of mentality of D.C. And it's kind of like the D.C., the Acela Corridor, D.C. to New York, and uh notion of a, a media tilting the scales, people with vested interests in their careers in D.C., just you know, driving the train of the United States of America off the rails, whether it's debt, the feeling of insecurity, you name it. So that's palpable, and that that has definitely been part of the wave that I think Trump Trump has ridden to be competitive today. I think I'm speaking to Steve Yates, who's the chairman of the Idaho Republican Party. Uh, Steve also worked uh, in the Bush administration. He worked in the White House. Worked for Vice President Dick Cheney. Uh, are you a little a little surprised at uh, some of the uh, the what's the what's the proper designation of it? Uh, the dissatisfaction that has been publicly uh, that has been publicly voiced by former Bush officials, uh, even some going as far as to say that they'd go for Hillary Clinton. 
Well, I have been, frankly, shocked and disappointed by anyone who has had the privilege of being elected as a Republican official or appointed by a Republican president to a, to a high office, uh, for them to then turn around and suggest that endorsing a Clinton was okay. Uh, I mean, I, that's just so far beyond the pale to me. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I, I don't. I, I have great feelings of fondness for President Bush and Mrs. Bush. Uh, I saw them up close and personal a time or two during my years in the White House. Uh, but when it comes to politics, I think you ride with the brand. Uh, and you know, when you're a conservative, there's really only one major party that has a chance of advancing your values. And the, that's definitely not the party led by the Clintons, and I just I just can't fathom that leap. Uh, people not being willing to jump on board the nominee. I mean, we had a little bit of that effect, less uh, known until the end with Romney in 12. Uh, and there were people in 08 that weren't able to come around and jump on with John McCain. Uh, so I mean, we've had uh, there's there's more independent-minded. Uh, people in the Republican and conservative ranks that it's frustrating for some of us who want to defeat the Democrats, but uh, you know Democrats sort of rally behind their their nominee and sort of take orders on who's going to go deliver what talking points and everyone turns out to vote and it's more work for the more liberty and independent minded folks. Now, Steve, uh, you're a guy with national security background, and it's actually been some of the national security GOP types who have been the most willing to cross over and uh, and not just not vote for Trump, but to actively vote for Hillary Clinton and even advocate that other Republicans do the same. Uh, where where do you sort of come down on, on the national security side of all of this between Trump and Clinton? Because that's there's that's been a tough one for a lot of people. It has been a tough one, but for those of us who've lived in that world, uh, we've known that a large number of the colleagues that we served with were not people who came in because of their political acumen, their values, uh, or any loyalty to a brand. They had kind of organized around uh, people that they knew, and they would be what we call detailees, people who work for other agencies in government, and they're available to be brought into the White House or appointed to a Senate-confirmed position to be an ambassador or an assistant secretary or come in and run part of the National Security Council. And these detailees uh, are people who live and breathe the Washington life. They retire with a very healthy taxpayer-funded pension. They land in cushy think tanks and have contracts with the government, and they basically have an exceedingly good lifestyle living the Washington dream. And those of us who work grassroots politics are part of ideological movements. We come and go, but they've got a permanent good life there. And it's not a shock to me that they gravitate towards what they think is the next best cocktail party circuit that they can stay in. And, uh, you know, I, I worked side Steve by Yates side. Steve throwing with down. Tori I like Nuland. it. Go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. I, I mean, I served side by side with Tori Newland in Vice President Cheney's office, and she became the infamous State Department spokeswoman during the Benghazi controversy on behalf of Hillary Clinton. So these are, that's, a, that's one example of one of these detailees that can play both sides, and that's the way they go. All right, Steve, your expectations for the Senate, if I may ask. Is, is Crapo up? I needed to check this before I asked you. But. 
That's right. Yeah, yeah Mike Crapo is on the ballot. Uh, he should win re-election uh, very, very handily. Uh, you know, obviously, we got to get people to turn out and vote, but it's 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 not a stiff competition for his seat here with the Democrat. Um, but what do you see nationally? Uh, but, you think they'll hold on to the majority? I do, but I, I'm afraid it's going to be very, very close. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Senator Johnson in Wisconsin, and that seems to have been a real dogfight. Uh, seems to have closed late, and I'm hopeful the people of Wisconsin will turn out and choose right. Because for heaven's sake, how hard is it to vote against Feingold, who brought us onerous campaign finance reform, but also Obamacare? Uh, and uh, so, I mean, I just, uh, you know, I think that uh, I'm hoping that the people of Wisconsin are. Are, are, will wise up and close that gap. And, you know, you see things about Ayotte in New Hampshire and some of these other tight races. Uh, I'm hopeful. Uh, I, I think that we should have a low number of 50, which if the White House goes the right way, we're okay. But I'm, I also think that maybe there's something to this undercounted movement and we'll do a little better. Steve Yates is the chairman of the Idaho Republican Party and the CEO of D.C. International Advisors. Uh, Steve, what's your Twitter handle? DC Yates or DC? What is it? At Yates DCIA. At Yates DCIA. There we go. Steve, great to have you. And uh, thank you for joining us on Election Day. We'll talk to you soon. You got it, Buck. Take care. Team, the phone lines are open. 888-900-3393. Back in a few minutes on Election Day. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Ty in Utah, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck, how you doing? Shield high. Shield high. Hey, uh, quick, quick shout out to my friend Chris who showed me this show. We really appreciate listening to you and your insight. Yeah, big shout out to Chris. That's how that's how we grow the that's how we grow the team. So everyone listening, please get a friend. Go for it. Yeah, he's a great man. Anyway. I meant get a friend to listen, by the way. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, just a quick question. I'm here in Utah, kind of a hopeful, maybe that Evan McMullen might um, be able to pull Utah and maybe get the election to go to the House. Just wondering what that process is, what we might see if that were to happen. Well, uh, I mean, there's been a fair amount of discussion of this tie. I mean, the, the chances of this happening are, uh, you know, like in a thousand to one range, I think. So I don't know how much time is really worth spending on it at this point. But basically, if you get an electoral college tie, I think it's 269, 269 is the projection I've seen. And it goes to the House and then the House votes. And then, you know, this is how the this is how the president will be picked. And there has to be a certain number. The votes have to go a certain way in the House and. It's it's like a very it's an interesting thing for people to read about, uh, but it's sort of like reading about a, an asteroid hitting the Earth or something. It's not not something that I would I would be up late tonight worried about. Uh, Evan McMullen's Evan McMullen's not going to be president, Ty. Unfortunately, I, I hate to be the one to 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 drop yeah, the. I, uh, I understand that. I no, I, I know you know. I'm just saying. I mean, oh, in terms of the process, oh, I, I'd have yeah, to look. I'd have to look it up again specifically. But it's one of these things where. It's it's really getting into sort of the the bowels of 
of, uh, of government procedure in a way that is, is not all that relevant. Like I said, it's the electoral college tie. It goes into the House. The House votes. And then there's, you know, from there, you, they, they pick a president, essentially. I mean, that, that's how it goes. Okay. Well, probably won't happen. We'll see if it does. But are you, are, are you, uh, where are you on all this? I mean, are you voting McMullen? Yeah, I already have. That's all right. We got a McMullen voter on the line. Finally. There figured we go. I'd give, figured I'd give it a shot. Yeah, look, hey, he's a good dude, you know, smart guy, Langley brother, like all that stuff. Uh, so, look, I hear you. And I assume you voted down ballot conservative or Republican on the rest of the ticket? Uh, yeah, for the most part. There are some I didn't look into too much or felt I shouldn't vote for those and sway the vote one way or the other, but voted for the ones I was knowledgeable about. And I hear you. I, I, latest in Utah, by the way, is, is Trump is still uh, considerably ahead, right? I mean, there were some... And McMullen's percentage has dropped off from what I saw in the polls. But am I, am I right on that? I have been looking at Utah that closely. That's kind of what I've seen. I haven't watched extremely close either. I can't, kind of plan on watching more today. But All right. Well, if, if McMullen does win Utah, that's the only way that I think we get to the 269 scenario. And there we go. But, Ty, great to have a new listener, man. Thank you very much for uh, for calling in. And thank you for uh, being a part of the Freedom Hunt. I appreciate it. Shots high. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> People are really... People who take. Oh, one of the other things is uh, that I'm seeing now is what happens if what happens if Trump doesn't accept the results of the election, or I'm, I'm sorry. Well, that, there's that which is sort of the scaremongering thing, but also what if he doesn't give a what if he doesn't make a concession phone call? Nothing happens. What if he doesn't make a concession phone call? You know, you know this isn't like you know the, the, the presidential candidate doesn't get to say I'm going to hold my breath unless you make me president. I mean, it's not, no one. Come on. I see this. I see serious, or supposedly serious news outlets. What happens? What happens if Trump doesn't make the concession phone call? Good heavens! Uh, I don't know. He doesn't become president because he's not president. And no one cares. He can go pout in the corner or whatever. By the way, same with Hillary. Although we all accept that she'll make a concession phone call, right? Because she's so she's so honorable and ladylike. And yeah, right. But she will make the concession phone call because that's what her that's what her elite. Davos globe-trotting buddies would expect out of her. Hillary will make that concession phone call, and Trump will make it too. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. People are raising all this nonsense stuff up there. I, I want to sort of track down some of the other crazy stories. I'm just waiting to see, you know, oh, my gosh, they're busing people in from, you know, they're busing people in from Bangladesh to vote in the elections. Like, wait, they can't bust people from Bay. That's a far. There's like oceans, right? There's all this crazy crap on social media you're going to see. All right, team, we've got more coming. Stay with me. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Joined now by our friend Sean Davis. He is the co-founder of the Federalist. You can read his latest on thefederalist.com, and also definitely give him a follow on Twitter. Watch him as he just lambastes trolls left and right at Sean M D A V. Sean, great to have you. 
Great to be on. Thank you, Buck. All right. Election Day is here. First thoughts. What are they, Sean? I'm so, I didn't hear that. I'm sorry. My bad. I said Election Day is here. Your first thoughts are what? Oh, none of them are good. I don't know if they're shareable on the radio. Um, I kind of look at our choices between Trump and uh, Hillary, and I feel like the Simpsons in that Halloween episode having to choose between Kang and Kodos. I haven't. Se- I don't know that one, but sure. Oh, Buck, Buck. I know. I miss a lot of South, uh, South Park and Simpsons references. It's much. It's much to my everlasting shame. I need to get on that. Well, nobody's perfect. I'll let it go. Um, I, I think uh, America is choosing the form of its destructor today. Um, they can either go with a uh, golden-haired uh, con man from New York or a golden-haired con lady from New York. Can we make fun of the Democrat hysteria a little bit, though? Like, for example, the New York Times publishing pieces about how there's a coup against the Supreme Court and... If the Republicans win, they will have essentially, or if Trump wins, he'll he'll destroy. Well, it's really Republicans because the Senate too. They'll destroy government forever. Oh, I mean the hysteria has been amazing, um, in no small part because if you look at the polls and look at all the forecasts, it looks like Hillary's kind of going to coast to a victory. Um, now, not none of them say it's guaranteed, but all the numbers are pointing to Hillary, and yet Democrats and progressives are tearing their hair out and screeching hysterically like, you know, somebody just came by and ripped a lollipop out of their hand. You know, the FBI is mounting a coup against uh, Obama and Hillary. Republicans are going to coup against Hillary. Donald Trump wants a revolution if he doesn't win. Like, these people are hysterical. Calm down, folks. It's just an election. And it's an election that it seems likely their candidate is going to win, which makes me feel like, well, my gosh. What's going to happen if this is how they act where they think Hillary's got it on lock? How do they act if Trump actually were to pull this thing off? Oh, I'm not sure I even have enough imagination to fully, like, think through what they might do and how they might act if somehow um, Hillary were to lose. I mean, they, they still cling to the fiction that Gore won in 2000, like 16 years later. They're still, you know... Uh, pushing out the lie that Bush stole it and Gore was the legitimate winner. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I honestly cannot imagine what the freakout would be. Um, in fact, the, the, rewriting, the rewriting of history on that freakout in particular, Sean, has been so amazing that not only do we, we sort of forget now that Gore made, a, made the concession phone call and then retracted it and said, well, don't get snippy, uh, and then <laughs> continued to drag this, you know, keep looking for... The courts to hand the election to him or, you know, go one, go to another, only want to count some votes from some counties, not from others. Uh, every single recount that's ever been done uh, and every every real analysis of it shows that Gore lost. And yet now Gore is hailed as sort of an exemplar of, of democracy and peaceful transition to power because eventually the Supreme Court was like, no, sorry, like this is over with. You lost. And he wasn't, I don't know, le- leading some sort of a, of an insurgency against the government afterwards. It's crazy. We, that's a great point. That uh, New York Times editorial, I think it was yesterday or the day before, about the Republican coup against the Supreme Court actually said of Al Gore in his 2000 behavior that he selflessly conceded. He was so gracious in 2000. And the thing is, if you go back, and again, if you lived through what happened then, uh, or if you look at uh, and read through what happened then, he actually never conceded that he lost. The only thing he conceded was that he had no other options left after the Supreme Court smacked him down. But yeah, the, the need to revise history 
to cast Republicans as the most evil villains in all of history uh, all the time, it's it's just you know, I guess when you make God your government, every election is an existential crisis. So in some ways, their hysteria makes sense. I've actually given the Demo- or given uh, Democrats in the media, I think in some cases, too much credit, and I give them very little. So that's that's pretty pretty depressing. But I've assumed that any of them would at least have the the self-respect to feel gross as they sort of carry Queen Hillary on their shoulders across the finish line and that there was the love for Obama that that didn't uh, that does not and, and will not exist for Hillary among the media. I mean they'll they'll go to the same lengths to defend her, but it's not it's done out of obligation, right? H- Hillary is like the cousin that's invited to the wedding because she's a cousin, Obama was, you know, the best man. Obama was the groom. Obama was everything, right? He was he was the center of their love universe. Uh, but there are a few that take this a little far. You have your colleague over at the Federalist, Molly Hemingway, pointing out that, what is this, a New York, yeah, a New York Times reporter wrote this about Hillary at one of her recent rallies. Her arms thrust skyward, one after the other, in what starts to feel like a dance. There's an unfamiliar sense of abandon and joy. The rain grows heavier. Her wet clothes turn a shade darker. She cracks a wide smile. She takes in the scene around her and laughs before she finishes her sentence. She's drenched now, her voice hoarse. The storm is mussing her hair. It's time to leave the stage. But just before doing so, she turns and raises both arms, giving herself up to the storm and the moment and the looming end of this adventure. I mean, this is like... This is like the it's stuff amazing. that you get in the uh, in the grocery store and the the sort of sketchy book aisle as you're checking out. Yeah, people normally hide that magazine inside a more respectable respectable magazine when they read it. But you know, I think in some senses you're right. You know, Obama's he was the one who got the wedding invitation, and Hillary was just kind of the plus one. Um, but in some ways, I disagree. So I don't think the press is going to feel icky or gross at all about what they did, um, especially if Hillary wins. I think they're going to be empowered. They are going to feel like they are untouchable and they can do whatever they want. They picked the Republican nominee. They built him up knowing that they were just going to tear him down. They cast him as the worst person in history, literally uh, Hitler uh, re-embodied. They are going to look at what happened in this election if Hillary wins and say, we can do whatever we want and you can't stop us. So rather than feeling gross, I think they are going to feel completely, completely empowered that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want it. Now, I know you're you're very uh, critical of Trump. Um, you know, I criticize Trump, but I wouldn't describe myself as as particularly critical, especially compared to other conservatives out there who just just can't can't stomach some of the nonsense. So uh, that said and, and taking that in, into full account, given what you're telling us about the media, wouldn't Trump's victory be something of the proverbial extended solitary digit from one's hand towards the media? Oh, no, I, I think that's totally correct. Um, my argument for the last couple of months is that the best argument to vote for Trump is schadenfreude. It, it's vote for him because all the people that hate you will just be absolutely driven mad by it. Yeah, that's um, pretty much I, why I voted for him this morning. I'll be honest. Yeah. That, that was it. I was like, I can't let Hillary win. And all the Hillary enablers, I just hate him. I just hate him. The, the best case for Trump has nothing to do with Trump. It has everything to do with the media establishment, with the political establishment in America that for years has looked down on its nose at anyone who doesn't have a college degree or didn't go to an Ivy League school. And you're right. A a Trump victory would be a big uh, you-know-what to to that entire establishment. So uh, I I agree completely 
that if you want these people to just feel pain and misery, by all means, vote for Trump, because nothing else will do it like a Trump victory would. And I do have to say they must be prepared. You're, you're right that they'll feel like they're they're sort of back in the, you know, back in the captain's chair or whatever. Um, and, and they're going to be running the show, meaning the media. They were able to because because Hillary is is completely being propped up and pushed forward by by the media. Democrats aren't enthusiastic about her. There have been you know, there's been all sorts of uh, opportunities, I think, to really damage to run very damaging stories on Hillary Clinton. And they've always sort of done it in a way that. They cover it, but they do it in a context that it won't really harm her candidacy. Uh, that said, if she wins, they're, they're going to have to be ready for the siege uh, that they're going to be surrounded with the moment that she becomes the president. Uh, there's just no way that the American people – she talks about unity and she's got this message now about she wants to be the president for everybody. She's as divisive a figure as could be elected in this country right now. You're exactly right, and it's interesting looking just kind of at the partisan breakdown over the last, really, 16 years. I'm not convinced um, that given the current crop of leaders, this is a country that can be united, because if, if you look at Trump, he's clearly dug in. He's got his faction. He's got the people who he wants to do favors for, and they're not the people that Hillary wants to do favors for, and she has the same problem. Half of the country looks at the other half of the country and says, you don't belong here. I don't want you here. You're... Uh, unhuman, you're unpersoned, and we're not even going to acknowledge your existence. Between Hillary and Trump, um, I don't see how either of them actually rises above and acts like a leader and unites the country. So you're exactly right that when Hillary comes in, she's not taking power uh, in a country that's super excited for her, ready for her to do whatever she wants. She's taking power in an extremely divided country and will likely be the most hated president in American history when she takes office. Yeah, and I think that you know, I know that people always talk about the power of the incumbency, and and that's certainly very real. But you know, there, there's no honeymoon period for her. anyway. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't. We don't know what's going to happen. But uh, any sort of expectations you have for tonight? Any 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 gut feelings, instincts? Do you have any thoughts on the Senate? You know, where what's what's going to be popping around Sean Davis's brain tonight as we get the uh, as we get the first rounds of results in. So I've, I've kind of divided, um, I guess, the little benchmarks for the evening and into a couple different uh, points. So I think the first thing to pay attention uh, tonight as results come in is New Hampshire and North Carolina. If Trump loses both of those, it's going to be really, really, really difficult for him um, to put together 270 votes elsewhere. Um, but say he wins those, then the next hurdles are Florida, Ohio, Iowa. He pretty much needs all of those. Um, and then as you go out later in the night, as we move uh, west, um, Nevada, that's going to be a big one. And then there are a couple wild cards in there, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan. If Trump somehow pulls out Pennsylvania, uh, I think the thing's over. I think he'll be the next president. Um, but so what I've done is I've set up a little, a few things, five, ten to watch throughout the night to kind of see what uh, they're telling us about uh, what the results are going to end up looking like. And your going to respond to a trump victory or a trump loss how is there a, is there a bottle oh. of something 120 proof under your desk i mean what do we got oh no i'm gonna bathe in the delicious tears of uh hysterical progressives nice well I, yeah i mean you could drink to celebrate <laughs> or drink to be sad i just don't know I mean, some people do both yeah porque no no dose, right so it looks like uh, it looks like sean davis is going to party either way Dep doesn't matter which party wins sean davis is going to have a party don't worry, be happy.
There we go. Sean, are you going to write anything on this uh, for the Federalist tomorrow? Uh, we'll see. Let's see where the night takes us. <laughs> Let's see. Sean doesn't want to make any promises, everybody. He doesn't want to get you guys all excited uh, and then not deliver. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out for it. Definitely, uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing some tweets from you tonight. Sean will be battling with progressives on Twitter. It's always fun to watch. Sean Davis, co-founder of The Federalist. Sir, happy, uh, happy Election Day. Same to you. Always fun. Thanks for having me on. All right, team. We'll be right back. This is The Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. 888-900-3393. Do call in, team. What are your thoughts about this Election Day 2016? We're here! Very exciting, I must say. Very happy that we are finally there. Very happy that we are at the point now where we don't have to talk about the election anymore. We can talk about the results of the election. I mean, soon. In a matter of hours. And uh, one thing I thought was really interesting, and this is from the Morning Consult, who does polling, was that 85% of voters say, quote, they just want it to be over. (laughs) Yes, they do. I among them. Casey in Kentucky. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Shield Tie. Shield Tie. What's up, Casey? Oh, not much. Just usually catch your podcast, but I thought I'd listen in live. Since well, thank you. Such a big day. I love my podcast listeners. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to kind of give my my story. Um, I really I wasn't for Trump during the primary or anything like that. Um, I have family members that were, and I really thought that I would end up, you know, in the end pulling the lever for Trump. But I didn't. I ended up going for Evan McMullen and... I'm still kind of conflicted back and forth, but ultimately the way I got to my decision was just like the guest you just had on, I heard him say something about either like the only reason he could find to vote for Trump. And and I think you said this yourself was to kind of, you know, be a defiance towards the media and everyone else that, um, you know, is so pro Hillary. And, and I feel like their side is not, not going through what we're going through. Like I put a lot of thought and a lot of going back and forth into what my decision would be. But I feel like for so many on the left, it's just, you know, they're unwilling to acknowledge any problems with Hillary. So I I came really close to voting for Trump just for that reason, just to kind of as a response to, you know, the way people are so unwilling to look at the problems that Hillary has. But ultimately I figured that, you know, if I'm casting my vote, it needs to be in support. And I, just in the end, I didn't feel at peace about voting for Trump, and I guess I just couldn't stomach it. So, you know, here in Kentucky, it's like not really going to make any difference whatsoever. But that's the decision I came to, and that's how I landed there. Uh, look, I look, I hear you. I went through a lot of this sort of similar uh, internal monologue to what what you've got going on. I'll just say this: I mean, part of me, I think, also is motivated by uh, the desire to make sure that I don't get to hear from the sort of super Trump component, the people that were Trump from the beginning and think that Trump is really going to save the country and he's amazing and he's a genius. I didn't want them to be able to say to me, 
you know, you 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 sold out the Republican Party or whatever. And now I know, I know you can make the case both ways on this, um, but I don't want them to be able to say that to me because I, I know if, if Trump loses, there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of house cleaning that goes on for I think for the next few months, quite honestly. And people are finally those of us who have felt like we had to kind of fall in line to you know respect the will of the Republican primary process and everything else. Some of us are going to want to call out some of the uh, opportunistic Trump supporters and Trump cheerleaders that have been uh, using this all that that I, that have I think been putting the really the interests of the country a distant second to their own sort of personal advancement. Uh, that's that's going to get interesting, I think. If Trump loses, if he wins, I've done my part, and uh, we're going to make the best of the Trump presidency that we can as as conservatives, as Republicans. Um, but that's kind of how I came down on it. But like I said, I, I don't I don't judge I, voting for Hillary if you're a Republican or if you're that I judge actually that that's crazy oh, yeah. to me. Yeah, that that I don't get. And and I, I've got I know some very smart people that are doing that, and I just feel like I kind of I kind of want to grab them and shake them and say, "What do you really?" Really? Uh, but voting McMullen or not, or, or you know, uh, just voting down ballot or I, that, that I totally, I totally understand. Um, not how I went, but I certainly can understand the case and, and I can respect it. So Casey in Kentucky, a state that's going to be going solid red. Good to have you on, sir. Appreciate it. Shields high. I like when the podcast listeners make appearances live and call in. That's right, podcast listeners. You get, you get, you get love too. It's not, uh, you know, just because you're not listening live. During the show, during the show, uh, yeah, I know that's two podcast listeners are calling. That's what I like to hear. And you'll also notice that one podcast listener was like, "Hey, I got put onto the show by a friend." When I always say, "Hey, guys, download the show and share it," that's kind of what I'm hoping some of you will do. It'd be like a really big favor, and I'd appreciate it a lot. And my bosses at the Blaze, who make this show a thing that we do, would also appreciate it. So. If you can, after this election day, be like, hey, there's this guy named Buck. He does a radio show. It's uh, it's entertaining and, and usually pretty informative, um, or at least it, it's worth listening to for whatever reasons you have in your head. Uh, you can download that podcast for free. You can send it to you – know, you can email it to five of your friends. Text it to them. Just send them a link. Be like, check this dude out. Listen to it while you're doing whatever it is you do. So uh, that's my little pitch. In the middle of the show today, you'll notice, not even at the very end, please do download the show and share it with some people. That's the the biggest compliment you can give me. Um, although I went through messages last night on Facebook, and many of you said very nice things, and I do read them, and it's greatly appreciated. So Election Day, we are halfway through the show. We are more than halfway technically through the day that is known as Election Day. Talk about econ and Trump policies and some other fun stuff coming up in just a few minutes. Stay with me. The Bug Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. How will the election actually affect any of us? It's an interesting question. One I know you've thought about many times before. We've talked about it here before, but it's an essential one, I think. A lot of the research on voting and why people vote indicates that it's really not about any specific issues or even set of issues, but mostly, first and foremost, about how casting that vote makes the person feel. 
how does it feel to vote for someone, right? How does it make you feel? Are you a good person? Are you worthwhile? Are you, you know, fun to be around? Do ladies want to be with you? Guys want to be you, you know, whatever. Or vice, if you're a lady, vice versa. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but what does it say about you, how you cast your vote? This is often the way that people think about this, or, or rather subconsciously, the way these decisions are made. We'd like to think it's, well, what, what about marginal tax rates and what, what about the, you know, the future of the, of the entitlement state and do we want a more, more robust American foreign policy abroad, things like that. But think about most of the people you hang out with, or no, forget that, most of the people you come across, with, you come across day to day. Uh, I had it was interesting. I had a, uh, a, a a lady walk up to me yesterday, and I don't know if she uh, she was, um, I don't know if she knew me from CNN perhaps, or she just wanted to talk to me. But I was in uh, I was in the gym, and she's we're talking for a second. She just came over. She says, "Who do you think's going to win?" I guess it's because she saw me on CNN. I said, "Well, I don't know. You know, I, I really don't know." She goes, "Well, my dad placed an eighty thousand dollar bet on Trump." So this woman says to me, you know, she's probably in her mid-20s. I said, well, that's quite a bet. I think you're getting two-to-one odds there. So if he's right, it'll make quite a chunk of change. She's like, yeah, well, Trump voters in this town know to, like, keep their heads down or something. She said something like that to me. And I, was, and I just kind of went, went on my merry way. I was like, all right, nice, good, good talk. Uh, Trump voters know to keep their heads down. Whoa. That's the, uh, that's the climate around here. And I kind of, part of me, whenever somebody says something like that, I want to ask them, Really, do you think Hillary voters should walk around, you know, chins high, chins wagging side to side with pride? I, I, I would hope not, given how terrible their nominee actually is. I would hope there is at least a recognition that they're voting for a party machinery. They're voting for somebody who's not going to be a figurehead, but who is just representative of a larger set of uh, political beliefs and a larger set of, uh, you know, ideas on the left and less because they're so inspired by Hillary Clinton. Um, I, I can't imagine anyone being inspired by Hillary Clinton. I mean, interesting, isn't it, that as the, the first woman president, uh, I think that's been much less of a, I think that's been much less of a reason, uh, a motivator, at least, for the electorate than many would have assumed in the first place. Uh, I think that there were expectations that Hillary as first woman president would probably be in a situ- be in a place where the sort of there would be a lot of female voter solidarity, um, and yet that hasn't really materialized. Uh, at least not not from what I see in the polls. It's more that they just don't like Donald Trump. Um, may- maybe it is. Maybe they. Saying they don't like Trump is sort of one part of it, but also voting for the first woman president is getting a lot of, you know, it's a lot of sort of gender solidarity that's happening. I, I don't know. I just ha- I haven't felt like that's been a major theme. It's more it's more just been that Trump is a misogynist and you've got to hate Trump. And like I said, it all it all takes us back to you vote for uh, you vote for the candidate that makes you feel good voting for him or makes you feel like a better person or makes you feel like whatever. Not what happened for me this morning. I just kind of was, I, I wish I could have just uh, written some, well, I would never write down an expletive, but I, I, I wish that my sentiment, which is that I just hate the Democratic Party and very much want the, I shouldn't say hate the Democratic Party. I, I, I despise the Democrat nominee's record and character and um, and the whole Clinton apparatus. And like I said, I'm rooting for them to lose and want, want them to lose. So, but when you get down into the, 
why you'd vote for either side. I mean, one of the top issues that certainly comes to mind is economics. And there's a letter that's been signed by uh, 790 economists on college campuses across the country that says that um, they should not vote, you should not vote for Trump. Um, They're saying that his statements reveal a deep ignorance of economics and an inability to listen to credible experts. Uh, The Wall Street Journal has reported on the letter, which was signed entirely by college professors. Uh, so you've got hundreds, 790 economists. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do about that? They're saying that, that Trump has misled Americans on trade, manufacturing, immigration, public institutions. I don't even know what Hillary Clinton stands for in terms of the economy other than pretending that taxing rich people, which really rich people don't get taxed. By rich people, that she means you know people that own small businesses and are trying to you know, save for their kids' colleges and stuff who aren't dependent on the state. That's increasingly going to be what Democrats mean by rich. Just give it some time. Uh, but really rich people will always find a way to evade taxes and, and get around these things. And that's why they don't want the tax code to change. Do we have Steve? Oh, okay. Um, so, th- you know, when you look at what Hillary Clinton stands for from an economic perspective, it's just the enlargement of the state, it's continued taxation, it's regulation, it's Things that have never before been proven to make your life any better. And in fact, things that make your life more annoying and difficult. Uh, so if you, if you look at the economic side of this, um, I, I know that people say Hillary Clinton. Um, oh, we've got, a, we've got an economist joining us now. Why don't, we talk to, why don't we talk to him about the economic side of things? Uh, we've got uh, Steve, uh, Stephen Moore. Wait, no. There's some, what, what, what is going on, team? Oh, there's a lot of background noise. It's okay. This is, we're taking people behind the scenes here for a second. I mean, no, I'm saying it's okay that I'm saying this on air and everyone can hear it. That's okay. There's nothing. There's no, there's, it's not like they've caught me in a potty mouth moment or something here. So we're having a little bit of technical difficulty. We were going to have, uh, we're going to have Steve Moore from, uh, he's an economic advisor to Trump. I wanted him to make this sort of Trump econ case. You know what, you know what I'm going to do right here? Just so we can sort of, uh, we're going to clear the deck for a little econ talk for a minute. Give everybody a chance to take a little breath, maybe get a little coffee, throw some Splenda in there, you know, maybe get a, a, a croissant or a croissant, depending on, you know, what kind of, how, how fancy you're feeling today. Why don't we go into a break here? We'll settle this situation with the phones, and when we come back, we'll either have a fantastic guest or a fantastic caller or a fantastic buck. One of the three. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. All right, everybody, we are joined now by Stephen Moore. He is a Heritage Foundation Distinguished Fellow, an economist, and a Trump economic advisor. You can follow him on Twitter at Stephen Moore. Steve, great to have you. <laughs> great to be with you. Sorry about that. I was at Trump Tower and it was so much noise in the background, I couldn't hear you. But can you hear me okay now? Yeah, we, we can hear you. And you're coming to us live from yeah. Trump Tower, from the mothership, as it, as it were. Yeah, uh, you got it, my friend. That's right. So, uh, so you got these economists, CNN's running optimistic. this. Oh, pardon me. What happened? We're, I just said we're cautiously optimistic. Oh. Oh, oh, well, there we go. 
so we've got these. Uh, I wanted to talk to us about the economic case. People are still going out there voting. And, you know, sure. uh, you've got these economists that are signing this letter, hundreds of them from campuses across the country saying Trump would be a disaster. Your response, your rejoinder to that when you look at Trump versus Hillary on the economy is what, Steve? Well, hundreds of economists said that uh, Obama's economic program would work, and obviously that doesn't work very well with, you know, 40 million people on food stamps and, you know, uh, poverty rate that's as high as it's ever been in this country, and, and you've got, you know, just so many problems with $10 trillion of added debt. Um, Look, you know, there's hundreds of economists who say it's not going to work, and there's hundreds of economists like me who say this is exactly what the economy needs. So we're going to, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it up to the American voter, but we're going to cut taxes. She's going to raise them. We are going to um, pr- promote American energy use of our oil and gas and coal, and we think there's $50 trillion worth of oil and gas and coal that we could use. And Hillary's position is keep it on the ground. We're, we're going to get rid of Obamacare. She wants to double down on it. So you just go down the list, and it's, it seems pretty clear to me as a free market economist that the Trump economic uh, platform is, is far superior to what Hillary wants to do. Now, you mentioned uh, you mentioned taxes. Um, the Hillary plan, she says she's just going to raise taxes on the on the very wealthiest, but that's not really accurate, is it? Well, look, she says only the top 2% or so are going to pay taxes, higher taxes. But, um, you know, look at who those people are. I mean, she's talking about taxing two-thirds of those people she wants to tax are small business owners and investors and and operators. How are you going to get, Hillary, if you were on this show, I'd say, how are you going to get more jobs if you're going to tax the very businesses that create the jobs in the first place? You know, we have the highest business tax rates in the world. It is is an abomination that our uh, companies are leaving the United States and they're going to Ireland, or they're going to Canada, or they're going to Germany, or, or Mexico. And one of the big reasons they're leaving is because of our high tax rates. So under the tax, Trump plan, we're going to go from having the highest business taxes in the world to virtually the lowest. And we believe that will bring a lot of businesses back to the United States. And did you know, by the way, we've lost a million and a half manufacturing jobs in just the last eight years? I mean, that's why Americans are so angry. The middle class jobs we used to produce in this country uh, have disappeared. And one thing that I saw, I think it was on CNS, CNS News yesterday, uh, that we're seeing a, a drop in manufacturing jobs and the place we're seeing tremendous uh, continued job growth. And in, and the overall number is astonishing. I think it's over 22 million uh, people work for the government directly in this country. <laughs> You know, that's club bad, right? I mean, the, the best place to work uh, if you want a secure job these days is to work for the government. But, of course, you can't have a government job until you have a private sector job because we as private sector workers are, what, are the ones who support uh, the through our taxes the government jobs. And, you know, look, I think we've got to reduce this bureaucracy in Washington. Um, you know, I, it's amazing to me that three of the five wealthiest counties in America today, three of the five, are in or around Washington, D.C. Now, how did that happen? I mean, I live in Washington myself. We, we don't produce anything. We, all we do is produce rules and regulations and politicians and lawyers and lobbyists. That's not, that's not a way a nation gets rich. We get rich off of everybody else, and we've got a lot of bureaucrats that are getting rich off of this system, too, with you know, pay, rate, pay and benefits that happen to be about 30% above what a private sector worker gets. So we want to trim the bureaucracy. We want to get rid of the unnecessary regulations, and we want to balance our budget. One place where a lot of conservatives have uh, been dubious with uh, with Mr. Trump uh, is, uh, is is on the issue of trade deals and how he says that we'll just negotiate better trade deals. And now on the other side of this, Hillary Clinton, of course, 
was very adamantly for TPP, I believe, for a while. Now she's kind of against it because she had to get to Bernie's sort of left. And, you know, who knows where she really is on any of this stuff. But clearly she's all over the place on on trade as it sort of suits her specific purposes. What would Trump do differently and what would Trump do better than Hillary on trade? Well, I'm a free trade guy. I'll start with that. And it's one of the issues I disagree with Donald Trump on. And by the way, I respect him and he respects me and we have a difference of opinion on this. But I think the way to deal with our trade problems, frankly, is to is to, uh, you know, fix our tax system and figure our, fix our regulations. If we get our regulations under control and our taxes down, those companies aren't, aren't going to want to produce things abroad. They're going to want to produce them here. We could be uh, actually a net exporter. I'll give you one example with our energy if we produce American energy in the next five years for the first time in any of our lifetimes, we could be producing more oil and gas and coal than we than we import. Wouldn't that be something? We could actually be a net exporter of oil and gas, and we wouldn't have to buy all this oil and gas from, you know, countries like Saudi Arabia and Iran and, uh, you know, Venezuela and Saudi Arabia that are uh, funding ISIS. What are you uh, – what are you – planning for tonight if if things if things go well steve are you you guys going to be rocking out there in trump tower and they must have quite a celebration ready for you it's going to be a great tell i mean look i tell you a razor tight election there's no doubt about that and uh it may be you know going to the wee hours of the morning um but uh i look i i've been in politics for i have to confess about 30 years i go back to the early reagan years i i really do think this is a really important election i mean we with respect to the economy i just i just don't think our country can afford four more years of running up you know trillion dollar deficits every year uh you know putting all these people on food stamps and welfare rather than into jobs people have not had a pay raise in 15 years the average american has not had a pay raise in 15 years in this country and that's that's, you know, the middle class suffering. I've traveled with Donald Trump. We go to places like York, Pennsylvania, and we go to Newark, New Jersey, and we go to Cleveland, and we go to Rockford, Illinois. Uh, you know, these are places where people are really hurting. They're financially stressed out. And they understand four more years of this is going to be a total catastrophe. Because there's really nothing that Hillary Clinton, on, on the economy, there's nothing that I can point to where she breaks with Obama other than really highly paid speeches by Wall Street folks. But, I mean, maybe Obama will get in on that action, too. Well, she has gotten rich off of government. I mean, that, that was the one, I think, missed opportunity of Donald Trump in the last debate. When, you know, when Hillary said, I've been in public for service for 30 years, I've worked for the Children's Defense Fund, and I represent senior citizens and working class people. And, and I would just come back and say, Hillary, if you've been in public service for 30 years, uh, and your husband's been a politician for 30 years, how did you get $100 million? I mean, they've gotten rich off of politics. That's not what you're supposed to do if you're a public servant. You care about kids. Yeah, well, Hillary has has managed to translate her her public service into uh, nothing but private jet travel. And, 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 yeah, <laughs> she's gotten rich off of public service. And you know, the other big you know hypocritical point that Hillary makes all the time is you know we got to take special interest money out of politics. I'm like, come on, does anybody get? Do any liberals get the joke that the woman who's raised more special interest money than in the history of American politics is railing against special interest money in politics? It's unbelievable. It's, well, it's Steve, so hypocritical. We, it's, you know, we know you got a super busy day, and we want to wish you uh, all the best of luck over there at Trump headquarters. Steve Moore of the Heritage Foundation, and uh, he's a Trump economic advisor. Uh, Steve, great to have you, and we appreciate you giving us your time. Thanks. Have a great day. We're going to win. Bye. There you go. He says we're going to win, everybody. He says we're going to win. We're going to know in just a matter of hours, but we're going to know a lot more about this show in a few minutes. Stay with me. 
The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. It is hour three of our show on election day. Tonight I'll be doing some live coverage, joining the Blaze via Skype for some TV hits uh, in the seven o'clock Eastern hour, I believe. Also, uh, popping in and out on radio to help out with our uh, Blaze Radio live coverage. To sort of give some thoughts as different polls close and as we just take in all that there is to take in this evening. Um, so I thought that would be, uh, I thought that was worth mentioning to you. Uh, 888-900-3393. Uh, Susan in Rhode Island, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Good afternoon, Buck. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Holding those shields high, I hope. Um, I have no choice, indeed. Yes. And I'm holding my shield high, but I'm sitting on the fence. I got you. That's okay. You sitting still want to have it there just in case. Well, first of all, Rhode Island. That yeah. says it all, doesn't it? Being a constitutional conservative in Rhode Island is like being a... Um, well, you're the state that gave us Lincoln Chafee, so, and you're like a bullfighter yeah. in Alaska. Oh my God, I get please. it. please. What an embarrassment. Oh, dear Lord. Um, I have never voted for a Democrat in all of my adult life. I've always voted Republican. But I'm sitting this one out. Um, It's pointless to go down there and just write in Evan McMullen's name, and I'm not even too sure about Evan McMullen. The moment Ted Cruz got out of the race, I knew it was over for me. And when you look at the down-ballot races here, the Democrats, they own the state. We don't even have any decent Republicans running. So I'm sitting on the fence watching it all for the first time in my adult life and trying to absorb what happened to us in the last 15 to 20 months. I'm Hmm. still not sure. Um, It feels a little weird to me, too. I'll be honest with you. I'm sorry? I said it feels a little strange to me, too. I'll be honest. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? It's like the whole world is turned upside down. Now, you asked an interesting question earlier. What effect will this have upon us? Um, My husband and I are both retired, so I can't look at it from really an economic standpoint unless everything crashes and burns and we lose our Social Security. But I don't really think that's going to happen. What I see coming and what I'm really afraid of is there's going to be more attacks on our religious liberty. That how do you think that's going to happen? Believe. You don't think so? No, I said, how do you think that's going to happen? I'm just wondering which, in which ways you see that. Um, I do think that's going to happen. I think they're going to push it on the states. And here in Rhode Island, I mean, we had a battle a few years back over a um, prayer that had hung in a high school for over 50 years. And the left won. They brought in a supposed atheist teenager that was offended by it because she had to walk by it every day at school. And they won. 
they won that battle, and it was taken down. And I joked back then that maybe in 15 years, I would have to pay a fine if I put a Christmas tree in my window. I'm fearful that's going to be within the next year or two. Well, I do think That's they're going to go after. They are going to go after churches um, that uh, churches that have any uh, sort of public uh, that, that have any sort of public accommodation, which I guess in, in a sense all churches do, right? The church itself yeah. can be used for for you know wedding ceremonies and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to bring suit against churches to perform. Same sex, uh, same sex weddings. Uh, you know, I mean, Catholic churches, churches that tend not to do that. Although I know some churches uh, do do it, um, and they're, they are going to bring suit. I think on that because there's really uh, the, that's been all along. I think part of part of the goal of the left is to is to force yeah. religious groups to. I mean, they're fine with religious groups as long as they are all in line with the sort of progressive uh, progressive left agenda. And once they have that in place, well, then sure, you know, you can you can sing some psalms and do whatever you want as long as you're uh, promoting uh, same-sex marriage, uh, promoting uh, ab- abortion, uh, promoting these sorts of things. They'll they'll leave you alone. And now I think that that's the next battleground because wh- where else really is it going to go, Susan? I mean, how what other fights are they going to pick? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's gonna. It's uh, look. It's, I, I, I'm. <laughs> does anyone really? I mean, you know, isn't it amazing that Hillary gets a pass and 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 Bill Clinton get a pass for the sort of public profession or uh, professing rather, not profession, public professing <laughs> of religious sentiment, and everyone knows that they, you know, I mean, Bill Clinton's not a religious guy, right? We all we no, all get that. Enough. So, and he, he he when he was president would bring up God all the time, and you know the whole thing. Well, they're very good at they're very good at uh, parsing, and they're very good at what they do. They're politicians. They're extremely good at it. I know. Uh, I don't support them either. It's going to be a rough. Like Bill Clinton. It's going to be a rough go. But Susan, you always got us, so don't feel alone up there in Rhode Island. All right. To you, you are on every day, Buck. Thank you so much. And I don't think I had a chance to ever congratulate you on going to three hours. It's about time. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, and we better get you back on TV. <laughs> okay. Got to do it. I All right, I'll, I'll tell, tell the folks in Dallas. Shields high, Susan. Thank you for calling. I will. In. Shields high, Buck. Shields high. Uh, so, by the way, the, we didn't mention this before. The Supreme Court uh, is going to be ruling on transgender rights. Uh, it will decide whether a transgender boy may use the boys' bathroom in a Virginia high school. Uh, uh, even in that, this is the New York Times. This is the New York Times writing on this. Uh, the way that they, this is supposed to be a pretty straightforward news piece, right? A transgender boy. Well, well what does that mean? A, a girl who believes herself to be transgender would be the accurate terminology. There's no such thing as a transgender boy. There are boys and there are girls. I, I don't. Uh, th- this is how absurd things are getting now. Um, it's not even just people. Look, if someone wants to change their name, they can change their name. Um, but the court is going. This this reminded me of uh, of this that we were talking about the religious freedom battles that are coming. The court is acting just a year after it established a constitutional right to same sex marriage, um, and states uh, state laws and federal actions on transgender rights have prompted a bunch of lawsuits. This is all in the New York Times. So this is uh, this is in part a spinoff from that North Carolina law. That requires transgender transgender pe- people in sorry I'm having trouble speaking for some reason right now transgender people in 
government buildings to use the bathroom that corresponds with the gender on their birth certificate. And you will recall, and it is important that you recall it because it goes to show you the lengths to which the left um, will go to try and push this kind of stuff. You will recall that... Uh, The Obama administration didn't just say that our interpretation is this or is that, and we hope that schools follow it. The Obama administration came out and said, if you do not do this, we will pull federal funding for your school district. So there was no choice here. There was no states' rights. There was no, uh, you know, each district can interpret this, and we're just giving sort of general guidance from the Department of Education level. It was... You either let girls use the boys' bathroom or boys use the girls' bathroom, and uh, or else we're going to pull funding, which, by the way, you're being supported by all of our tax dollars, right? So you're just going to get cut out of that. We're going to forcibly take money from you, and then we're going to not give back the portion of money you're supposed to get for your local public school district if they don't allow this transgender dogma to become institutionalized, to become the official dogma of education uh, of education and of schools across the country uh this is this is where they're going with all this now Um, things that would have even a few years ago been considered sort of beyond the pale or too extreme or they're not going to push that far uh they now will say no that's the way you have to that's the way you have to do it uh, if a student shows up and says that he's now a girl and, it, and he's been a boy for the last 15 years, he's now a girl. Not only is the student allowed to claim that, but other people have to go along with it or else they're showing discrimination. This is insane. This is insane. If a man can become a woman, by the way, I need somebody to explain to me how uh, we can't all claim to be whatever ethnicity we want. Because what is that exactly? I mean, I'm sure I could do a genealogy tree and find any number of things in my background, and I would just claim that that's, that's what I identify as. And people will, will trot out this, oh, but sometimes, Buck, there actually can be. There is a, a very rare medical condition uh, where you can have the, some of the body parts of a, of a male and a female when you're born, and... Uh, Usually the doctor kind of makes a decision and go whichever one seems more developed, I think. I, look, I don't know. but And they kind of go with that and, you know, I, I don't know. Or or whatever the official, you know, it's, it's an XXXY chromosome thing, so they can kind of figure it out. But anyway, it's very rare, and that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about people that uh, identify a certain way, and we're all supposed to— it's one thing to say it would be nice if we went along with it. That's not what the government's saying. The government's saying you go along with this or else— we will uh, bring down the force of the federal government upon your head. We will teach you a lesson. We will discipline you. We will punish you for stepping outside the lines on this one. That's what the Supreme Court's going to be looking at. Uh, it is pretty fascinating when you think about it this way. So uh, let's take Jeffrey in Utah. What's up, Jeffrey? Not much, Buck. How are you doing, bud? Good. What's up? Well, uh, over the last year or so, I've been musing a lot about what's going on in our country, and I, what happens today is going to happen, and I think between the two, it's either bad or worse. Um, I have no allegiance to either of them, and I actually voted uh, third party as a uh, 
uh, vote of uh, content or not contention um, as as a vote of dismay. I don't I don't believe in either one of the parties doing right for the people. But over the last year, I've I've really been looking and watching this, and I think a lot of people in our country, unfortunately, have have taken the attitude of, well, we'll just let Big Brother take care of it, and now we're at a position where we got two of the most incredible people on the planet running for the most powerful position in America, and everybody's wondering, how did we get to this point? I I I think too many people have been running blind or at least closing their eyes to what to what our nation is doing. And I hope this... Wake, what do you, what do you think our nation our, is doing, Jeffrey? I think too many people aren't even paying attention to their civic duty. I think too many people are just going about their day-to-day lives and they're not worried about it. You know, way back when, when the nation was first getting started, you know, the farmers took time out of their lives to understand what's going on civically. And these people had, I mean, they didn't have all of the creature uh, comforts that we have today. They didn't have cars that will get them somewhere in 10 minutes. It does seem, it does seem like there's some irony to the fact that we've, we have an electorate with easier and more complete and widespread access to information than at any time in history. And it feels like yeah. we have an electorate that is also less informed than previous times in history, which it is, uh, that's what you, call, uh, it's what you call a mystery. It's ironic. It's, it's, it's ironic, you know, and, and as as someone that served this nation, it's actually heartbreaking to see the the state of nation that we've got going on today. We, we've got more divisiveness going on. There's more divide. There's more bickering. There's more ill content than there ever has been in my adult life. And I've been paying attention to politics since I was in my mid-teens. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I hope this is whatever happens today or tomorrow is going to happen. And I hope it's a wake-up call to the people to get off their lazy backside, get out and start understanding what's going on around them and then being a part of it and contributing to their their civic responsibilities. My grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to suffer the consequences of what happens over the next four years. We're all gonna. We're all gonna suffer the consequences, Jeffrey. We're all gonna suffer. Absolutely, but I know <laughs> so. I can handle it. I don't know what they're gonna be like, <laughs> you know. And I think we all need to grow a thicker skin, and we all need to come together as citizens of a nation instead of participants of a party. All right. Uh, Amen, Jeff. Thank you for calling in from Utah. Good to talk to you. Shields high. A team. We got some more time here, and then again tonight I'll be popping in and out and writing on Facebook and Twitter and wherever, trying to get some election stuff going on. Eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. If you've uh, voted and you want to share your sort of thoughts or how it felt, please do call. If you're gonna do it, if you're gonna be voting later, you got a minute to share your thoughts with us. I want to hear it. It's been quite a journey we've all been on here together this uh, this election season. It has not been what I expected, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, and I'm really, um, I'm really looking forward to it being over. Uh, so there's that. There's at least that anticipation. Uh, this is not like watching the uh, my favorite sort of hometown team uh, up for the World Series. You know, I'm not like some diehard Cubs fan that finally might have his, you know, his dream come true of the Cubs winning here. Uh, I the, the the greatest relief and the greatest feelings that I get out of this whole process are that it will be over soon. And then we can adjust, and then we can adapt, and we can make 
the best decisions uh, for each and every one of us that we can uh, based on that new reality. And it's going to have a huge impact on the media, by the way, I think, particularly on the conservative media, if Trump wins or does not win. Discussion for perhaps another time. Also, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. You can write me there now, this afternoon, tonight, anytime. I'll be checking in on messages and uh, responding as quickly as I can. We'll also be posting stuff at Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We will be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. piece in Wired Magazine, which does mostly tech and stuff like that, but they also sort of delve into the world of politics. And tech has played a huge role in the politics of this election cycle, as you know, hacking, Russian, WikiLeaks stuff, all of that, right? Um, As well as just the memes and the various means of distributing information via the Internet that we uh, all have become increasingly used to. But this election in particular seemed to see a rise in the truly nasty and beyond the pale, the threatening, the disgraceful, the disgusting with Internet trolls. Uh, And people often look, I saw I I had some really annoying interactions with Trump supporters. um, And that's somebody who ever since he won the primary has been like, yeah, I guess I'll vote for Trump. I I have friends and, and colleagues who have been through terrible stuff with Trump supporters, which is really gross. And there's been a lot of and by the way, the stuff with Bernie Sanders supporters was also pretty horrific and didn't get as much media coverage, of course, the Bernie bros. Uh, but trolls, very interesting. We were constantly told that there's this huge groundswell of sort of racist um, and uh, misogynist and anti-Semitic support for Donald Trump. But according to the Anti-Defamation League, there were. million anti-Semitic tweets between August, last August and this July. Um, And a a lot of them are in reply to journalists, 60%. This is all in this Wired.com piece. Uh, But the survey showed that 1,600 Twitter accounts generated 68% of those tweets. So, wait a second. How do you have 1,600 Twitter accounts creating... 2.6, I'm sorry, not 2.6 million because almost 70% of it, but but two-thirds of 2.6 million anti-Semitic tweets. There's there's a couple of things I find very interesting. One is that's a tiny fraction of Twitter users overall. I mean, you've got a couple thousand people, less than 2,000 people, less than 2,000 accounts. How many, maybe even some of these individuals are running, you know, 10, 20, 50 accounts, who knows? that are responsible for the perception on a social media platform that there's this huge groundswell of anti-Semitism and it, with, with, a, with um, putting out millions of anti-Semitic tweets, but it's only a couple thousand people. This is very interesting evidence of a phenomenon that I think we've all known exists, whereby you have the meanest, the loudest, the angriest voices on social media platforms magnified way out of proportion in terms of uh, the actual percentage of people that are supportive of this or believe this or anything else. Uh, This is a a tiny, tiny fraction of Twitter users responsible for a huge proportion 
of the disgusting crap that's out there, I bet there's a lot more of this. We'll do it back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we've got phones open, 888-900-3393. Josh in Oregon, welcome to the Freedom Hut. What's up, buddy? Hey, buddy, Shields High. Shields High. Uh, I just wanted to mention, uh, kind of agree with what you are saying earlier, is that um, really good reason to vote for Trump, not necessarily because he's the greatest guy, but I kind of want to watch the media's heads melt tonight if he gets in. I think it'll be a lot like the end of uh, Indiana Jones. No idea how they're going to deal with it, but it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, well, it it will be a sort of personal slight to the media as well because they're so invested in one candidate here. They're so dedicated to the idea that Hillary Clinton should be the next commander-in-chief. If they're unable to do that, if it's not something they're successful in, I think it'll sort of change the way they view their own power and their own ability to sort of drive American opinion. And so on. And then, of course, there's the fact that the media overwhelmingly have the sort of closely held beliefs one would expect of a, a Democrat in good standing. That's how the media views their that's how the media views their role, to be sure. Yeah, I agree. And one other thing I wanted to mention, this whole, um, you know, kind of a silent Trump vote people have been talking about where people don't want to admit they're voting for him. But, they, you know, they think that might turn the election. Sure. I think that's a lot more real than a lot of people give it credit for. I mean, I've kind of felt it in myself, actually. Like, I've, I know I'm, I voted for him. I kind of, kind of support him, but I don't love him. But then, if you actually admit to anyone that you're voting for him, all of a sudden, you know, you're a bigot or a racist or whatever. So you kind of keep it on the down low. But when it comes to actually having your ballot in front of you, I think I, I, I want to say a lot more people might be wishful thinking, but I think a lot more people than are on these polls that want to admit it are going to come out for him. Yeah, well, look, I had a stranger, I said, I had a stranger come up yesterday to talk about, you know, sort of just briefly mention the election and then tell me that Trump people around here know to keep their heads down. I mean, I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, all right. I guess we've established that. So there's a, there's definitely an effort out there to sort of shame people into not voting for Trump. And I, I think that could have two two impacts or two effects. One of them is what you mentioned, which is that people don't want to tell pollsters that they're going to vote for Trump and you have that silent Trump vote or whatever. But also, I think some people pick up on this and sort of the same way that I just want to show the mainstream, I know I'm a part of the media technically, but I want to show the mainstream media that they don't get to tell me, they're not the boss of me, they don't get to tell me what to do with my vote in this election. I think a lot of people feel that way about the social pressure that's out there to, I mean, it depends on where you're in the country. Right? I mean, I'm sure some of you who live in Texas are like, what social pressure? And I'm in, I'm in Trump country or whatever. But if you live on the coast, you're calling from Oregon. I mean, Oregon uh, has some delicious coffee and some, some nice beaches, but it is, uh, it is some commie stuff going on up there. Now, the thing with Oregon is if you, if the whole state is red, except for, Portland and a couple of the big cities, and they kind of decide the, where our electoral votes go every year. <laughs> oh, I get it. So, so you're, sort of, you're sort of like Pennsylvania in the sense that, well, I mean, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh disproportionately weigh on Pennsylvania. I mean, not disproportionately, but just have a huge impact because of the population. 
but there are parts of Pennsylvania that are like parts of Appalachia. Yeah. Sorry, sir. You're in Red Oregon, I assume. Yeah, I'm in kind of southern, where out you know the out in the country where kind of the Patriots live out here. Not not so much Portland and the. Kind you of see, you seen a lot of Trump. You seen a lot about. of Trump signs uh, out, where, out where you are. I mean, I know Oregon's going Democrat, but I'm just wondering. You seen a lot of Trump signs? Are there little pockets here? Yeah, and there? I see Hillary signs once in a while, but mostly it's Trump. Yeah, you see a lot more Trump signs out here than Hillary signs. All right, man. Well, Josh yeah. Shields, hi. Great to talk to you from the West Coast up there in Oregon. Talk to you again soon. All right, we got another one coming in here. Ben in Pennsylvania, important swing state, essential, essential for Hillary Clinton to win Pennsylvania if she's going to win this thing. What's going on, Ben? Hi, uh, Buck. Can you hear me okay? I think so. Yes, sir. We all can. All right. Um, well, I'm actually part of that Republican part of Pennsylvania you were just talking about. Um, I'm in the south central part. And, yes, unfortunately, uh, Philadelphia and uh, Pittsburgh do often dominate our state. Um, but I just went to vote, and uh, I voted for Gary Johnson today. Um, and I want to talk to you about that. Um you know, I, I I absolutely do not believe Hillary Clinton is the right answer for our country. Um, but Donald Trump just didn't he, – he just did not sell me uh, this election cycle. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I, I am a conservative. Um, most of my family actually is fairly liberal, so I'm kind of the black sheep of the family where I come from. But, um, you know, I – I've always believed very strongly in the democratic process. Um, I believe you should, you should vote for who you believe is the best leader of the country. And unfortunately, Donald Trump did just, he did not sway me enough uh, for his vote. Um, but I'm not a Hillary guy, you know, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm a libertarian at heart. And so I, I, I voted for uh, Mr. Johnson today. Hey, I, I I get it. Like I said, I'm not I'm not uh, not not here to judge anybody's vote one way or the other. Um, Gary Johnson, do you really feel like he's a libertarian? I feel like well, he's a liberal I, with some libertarian tendencies. I, I I feel like he's a bad representative uh, for the Libertarian Party in that sense. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, you know, the Libertarian Party at, at large is not you know not totally sold on on Gary Johnson. He he does have some some much more liberal tendencies than conservative tendencies. So, you know, he's he's not like the messiah of the libertarian party. Um but, you know, I I feel like I fall with a lot of Americans um you know, the I I personally feel like the two-party system is failing us. Um, you know, we have we have millions and millions of people in our country with with vastly, vastly different views. You know, it, it, we, we I believe we should have more than just two people representing what we believe as a country. Um, and so, you know, part of my vote was, you know, yes, I, I I'm not happy with Trump or Hillary, but I but the the majority of my vote was just for for a third and fourth you know, candidate. I, I feel like, you know, yeah, so you I would love to protest, see some protest vote situation going on. Right. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, um, I, I feel like we should have, we should have more, more people representing our, our country at large. You know, I mean, how is it that we have two people representing millions of Americans? Um, you know, to me, that's like, that's like, you know, we're dividing our country into black and white when there are many shades of gray. 
there are there are lots of differing um, opinions w- within our our country that cannot fall into just category A or category B. Um, you know, there there should be options C, D, and E as well. I hear you, um, man. And so, you know, I, I don't, I do, I do not, I you know, like I said, I yeah, vote for Johnson. I don't I believe he's going to win. However, I feel like if a third party picks up enough steam, then you know maybe we'll have a third and fourth legitimate candidate in the next four years. And I don't think that would be a bad thing for our country at all. All right, thank you for calling in, uh, Ben. Good to talk to you in Pennsylvania. We had a Gary, jo- so we've had a McMullen voter, we had a Trump voter, we had a Gary Johnson voter. We're we're getting the whole. Do we have any Jill Stein voters out there? I promise we'll be nice if you call in. We're always nice here. Do we have a Jill Stein voter in the house? Anybody? Bueller, Bueller. I, I feel like we probably don't have any Jill Stein voters. I'm just going to – and we definitely have some Hillary voters. I know. Occasionally they – yeah. Occasionally they reach out to me and uh, and they're like, I, I'm a Democrat, but I like your show because you say you say interesting, smart things. And I say, well, thank you, Democrat, who is clearly of refined and excellent taste. Uh, but we, I don't think we have any Jill Stein voters. That's That's true. One thing about the voting third party as a means of trying to get more policy options uh, and sort of making it more about policy. and all, We had two options that we didn't talk policy. I don't know. I mean, if we had three, we really think we'd make it more in policy. I think it's just because of the uh, ubiquitous nature of digital media now and all of its different forms, TV, uh, audio, radio, and, of course, social media platforms and the Internet uh, – the propaganda effect is so powerful, and I think it just, in, in, a, in a sense, it means that, one, there's a more – disinformation is easier than ever before. <laughs> Hello, paging Russia. Uh, disinformation is easier than ever before, and I think that's something we need to keep in mind. Uh, it's also the case that the sort of casual political observer is reachable more so with memes and, quite honestly, sort of political foolishness. Than with a detailed policy proposal, you know, Hillary has this really progressive agenda that she's supposed to be enacting. And I don't even think anybody pays attention to it. You know, if she becomes president, it's going to be a surprise to some people how leftist she's willing to be. Uh, You know, there's whether it's on health care or on immigration or on uh, taxation, uh, on social issues, on religious liberty issues. I mean, she is a progressive statist. And it's all out there. If you read her policy positions, you read her platforms. I mean, she is. I mean, on, on immigration, by the way, the Democratic Party has has moved to the far left without really much notice or noise from the media, from e- even from Republicans. Quite honestly, yeah, Trump has been pushing immigration as a big issue, but he hasn't really been pushing. I think as hard, or, or forget about even just Trump, the Republican Party hasn't been pushing back on how the Democrats are essentially at a place now where they only want to deport criminal illegal aliens, meaning illegal aliens who, in addition to the illegality of their status, also commit a serious crime. Okay, so then everybody else, I guess, gets to stay. That's that's pretty much open borders, right? I mean, no one's suggesting open borders is going to be a country where there's no one checking anything when you come in. Right? They want to know who's here because they want to be able to tax those who are productive. They want they want control, but everybody gets to come and everybody gets to stay. That's the Democrat vision of immigration. I, I don't see how we can call it anything but that. 
All right, we got a lot of lines getting lit up here, and I want to get in some more calls before we uh, batten down the hatches and get ready for what's going to be quite an interesting night, my friends. Uh, if you want to get in with a last quick call, we've got a slot or two open, 888-900-3393. Team Buck, we'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Show. All right, Brooke in North Carolina. Thank you for holding. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. Hey, Buck Shields. Hi. Shields. Hi, Brooke. Um, um, I picked up a part-time job this season doing canvassing, you know, going door to door and mm-hmm. got to speak with a lot of really interesting people in North Carolina. And one thing that I heard that, that I saw a lot of was this Trump shame that you were talking about mm-hmm. when you go and it's kind of a weird job anyways you know going up to people's houses it's a little awkward but it paid really well <laughs> but um so you would go up there you ask them the questions but the people who were Trump supporters it was like they were almost afraid you know and more often you would get the question well who's asking and what do you want to know whereas if you went to someone who was a Hillary supporters house you know they were very open about it and even some of the um the people that were polled, they would even say, I'm writing in Bernie Sanders. So I think that that's something we have to think about, too. It's like we're talking about the people who can pull votes from the Republican Party, you know, being like um, the Libertarian candidate or Edwin, Edwin McMullen. But also, you've got a lot of hardcore Bernie supporters out there that are going to pull votes from Clinton, too. They're going to pull votes from Clinton. I mean, I wonder what the third party effect will be, especially in some of these tighter races. And for North Carolina, our governor here, we've actually had like a lot of controversy, you know, with the House bill here regarding transgendered in their bathroom. And I mean, for me, that's not why I'm not voting for Pat McCrory. It's more that he has a lot of stuff going on with coal ash here locally where I live and a lot of stuff with um, like a some really backdoor shady stuff going on with Duke Energy and the um, the state is actually having to cover some of the payment for this remediation from this giant corporation. And I think that that's going to play a big role in the governor's race here. Brooke, you're calling us from North Carolina. You've been doing some canvassing. Who, who wins North Carolina tonight? Just call your own state. What's going to be? It's going for Trump, man. Trump's going to take All it right. by landslide. <laughs> All right. Brooke, great to talk to you. Thanks for calling in. Shields high. Josh in South Carolina, the other Carolina. What's up, Josh? We only got about a minute, but I want to bring you in. Okay. Shield tie, Buck. Shield tie. Um, yeah, it, you know, it kind of feels like this is the, the that really high hill at the top of the roller coaster, and you're, you're, you know, you're about to go down, and you have that tight feeling in your stomach, but instead of, like, you know, enjoying it, I think we're, you know, it's like doom and death at the bottom. Uh but, I, you know, we're, I'm about to get off and, and go vote. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I want to encourage, encourage everybody to go out and vote. You know, and regardless of who you vote for, you know, there's men and women that have died, uh, bled and died, and given life and limb for your right to go do that. And uh, we should all exercise that right. And um, so, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I do, you know, Trump's definitely going to win South Carolina. He may win North Carolina. I don't really know. But. 
um, it's going to, it maybe end up being tight, tighter than it would have been a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I do think Clinton's going to end up winning this whole thing. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to have to really, you know, maybe tighten our belts and all, all the Republicans come together and fight Clinton for four to eight years. Indeed. Well, you can, you, it's good to have you in the Freedom Hut phalanx here with me, Josh. Shields, hi. Good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you for calling in. All right, everybody. Next time that we gather in the Freedom Hut, at least, it will be known who the next president of the United States will be. We're going to have certainly a lot to discuss then. It's going to be an interesting night. You can join me on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, uh, Just look up Buck Sexton on either, and you'll be able to follow me. We can go back and forth there. I'll be joining for some of the Blaze TV's coverage tonight around 7 Eastern, and then on the Blaze Radio Network from 7 to 10, popping in and out as I can. It's going to be a wild ride, everybody. Strap in for it. Until tomorrow or later tonight, Shields High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.